I'm sharing a series of sermons entitled, What Christians Believe About People. This is the doctrine of mankind, the Christian doctrine or belief of what we believe about people. I began last week and we shared the first of four foundational truths. And that first truth is that people, all people, are created in the image of God. Christians believe all people are created in the image of God. We get that from the first page of the Bible. Let me just review for a moment with you last week. We read Genesis 1.26, and it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so, because God created us in His image, it means that all human life is special, it's sacred, it's significant. We talked last week about how unborn life is sacred and valuable, and old people are sacred and valuable, and those who are mentally or physically disabled, and people of all races. So no matter who we are, because we're created in the image of God, human life is to be valued and respected and is sacred. And today, we share the second foundational truth of what Christians believe about people, and that is that all people are created, boys or girls. And we get that from the very next verse in Genesis. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female, He created them. So, just as life is a good gift given by a sovereign God, and we don't have the right to take life, and we can't create life, God sovereignly gives the gift of life made in His image. That's Genesis 1.26. Now, in the same way, we see that part of being made in His image is that God sovereignly gives the good gift of gender maleness or femaleness. And it's a good gift that he chooses to give us. And so uh, when my kids were born, they had ultrasound 30 years ago, but it wasn't very refined. And and so it was really not until we uh, had our kids when they were born that we knew the gender of each one. And the doctor said, well, You've got a baby boy, and we rejoiced at that. The sovereign gift of a good God, just as we would have rejoiced if he had said, it's a girl. And now, uh, you folks, most of you know, earlier in pregnancy through high-resolution ultrasound, and and they tell you, you're going to have a boy, you're going to have a girl. And and some families now, they have these gender reveal parties, and their blue balloons come up, or pink balloons come up, and, and people, yay, it's a girl it's a boy and they celebrate because it's a sovereign gift of a good God who gives that gift of gender as he's created us. Now this may seem obvious to you. Yeah, well, Pastor we know people are either boys or girls. We already knew that before you told us. But in our day there is a great deal of, of uh, dissonance on that. The transgender movement uh, are those people who do not want to identify with the gender of their anatomy, of their bodies. And they they may say, that's not who I am. I'm trapped in the wrong body. And they want to identify with a different body. And this uh, 
is sort of the old Gnostic view of where the body is bad, something, you know, the, the, the body's bad, something wrong with it. I, it's not who I am. i got to change that. We Christians believe, based on this passage and others, that the body is good, that all of God's creation is good and to be celebrated uh, and accepted. Jesus himself came in human flesh to show us once and for all that body is good. And he came with gender when he came. And this transgender movement has great implications in our society. Uh, it it is, has implications for women's athletics, the Olympics. I don't know what's going to happen to men's and women's events. Just last week, a man who identifies as a woman won a major cycling event in California. The others felt cheated because of that, because he won that, that contest. It has implication for any gender-specific club. I grew up going to Boy Scouts, but in 2017, Boy Scouts said we'll take anybody who identifies as a gender, whether that's their birth agenda or not. Same with Girl Scouts. It has implications for restrooms and all others. And it's not just a matter of people switching sexes. But it is really this coming to this point of erasing this concept in one, Genesis 1.27 of the gift of gender. Just doing away with gender. For example, in the um, Vancouver, Canada school district, the school board has said that teachers can no longer use the pronouns he or she. They must be replaced with the pronoun z or zim, a generic z uh, or Zim that you're to call students. Um, and it's not just uh, that, but there's this such diversity. The New York uh, S uh, Human Rights Commission has identified 31 gender categories. Maybe you're both genders. Maybe you're no gender. Maybe you're pangender, bigender. I don't even know what all they are. But there are severe fines to employers of up to $250,000, and if an employer fails to use and accounts for these 31 different categories of gender. Um, and this gender then, when you remove these boundaries that God has set, becomes fluid. One parent uh, said that my child is a girl now, but she might be a boy tomorrow and maybe a girl the next day. That gender fluidity. It leads not only to a breakdown of the concept of gender, but a breakdown of the family. In Alberta, Canada, the school board has said that teachers can no longer use the term mother or father when conversing with their students. Because you see, if gender is erased, then those roles are erased, and they must only say caregiver, cannot say mother or father. So you have a breakdown of all family structure. Now you may think, well, I know this happens in Canada, it happens in big cities, but it's not a problem or an issue with us. Last Sunday, I went to our high school connection groups at 8.30 and 9.45, and I asked our high school students to answer a few questions on a, a card that they would turn in without their name. They could be honest. And I asked them the first question, how many students do you know who identify as transgender? 53% of those 42 students that filled out a card said, I know at least one person, one student, who identifies as transgender. So it's not just an issue somewhere else. 
the majority of your teenagers in our high schools uh, are dealing with this issue. And, and I did not uh, survey middle schoolers, but I have had conversations, and I know there are several middle schoolers who already will identify as a different uh, gender. So I, we're facing that. And, and so we need to hear what God says about that. Now, maybe I'm talking to somebody who struggled with gender confusion. You, you've had some of these feelings as well. Then what, what should you do if you're dealing with that? Let me encourage you to submit your feelings to your body rather than submitting your body to your feelings. You see, if you feel like you're the wrong gender, then you're going to, there's a dissonance in your life. My body says this, my feelings say something else. One of those is going to have to be subjected to the other, right? So the thinking in our culture is I'll change my body and submit to my feelings because my feelings must be right. Do you understand that your feelings are not infallible? Your feelings can change, and feelings are a bad thing to make the infallible guide of your life. So why don't you, because there's this dissonance, you have, something has to give, why don't you submit to God and what he said in Genesis 1.27 and submit to your anatomy, your DNA, and submit your feelings to God? your anatomy. You see, you really can't change your sex after all. We are learning that in your DNA is in every cell of your body, so every cell in your body is male or female. You have this marker, this genetic gender marker in every cell in your body. You'll always be whatever you were created. So why don't you rank your feelings below what God has given as your anatomy. And you may say, well, I can't change my feelings. I can't help my feelings. No, you can't, but there is one who can begin to do that, and his name is Jesus. And let me share with you Galatians 2.20. And Paul said, I came to the place where I gave up myself, and I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in what? The body, the life that I live in the body God gave me, I can live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And if you'll come to Jesus, he can make you whole. You're experiencing confusion or dissonance, but there is one who can make you whole if you'll surrender and submit to him and let him begin that transforming power. Now, how should we as Christians respond to people who identify as transgender? Well, the Bible tells us to walk in truth and in love. We're never to deny the truth, but we're to love people. We don't hate people who make these choices. Uh, we, we're to love all people. We're to res we've just learned we're to respect everybody, right? So there's respect and love. Now, people in the transgender movement may tell you, well, but when you are denying part of my identity, you don't love me. This is part of who I am, and, and you're saying that you can't accept that. That means you don't love me. But that's not true. The Bible tells us that we can love the sinner while hating the sin because God does that. God hates sin, but God loves sinners. And so there's a part of your identity that God does not approve of if you're greedy, if you are a gossip, you could say, well, that's my identity. You've got to take me as I am. That's part of who I am. And God will say, no, I love you, but I hate your gossip. 
And I, I deny that part of what you call is your identity. So whatever your identity is there is not necessarily approved by God. God loves you even if he doesn't approve of what you may call his identity. I'm, I want to say just a word to Christian parents. Don't overreact and freak out. If you go to a birthday party and your little boy says, I want that pink balloon, ah, don't, don't freak out. The Bible doesn't use the word pink. It does, that's not what masculinity is. If your little girl wants to play in the mud with trucks, don't, don't worry about that. That's, trucks are not in the Bible about what mascul- about femininity is. That, that's okay. So don't, let's don't freak out. Let's just hold to God's view of masculinity and femininity and affirm that and love people who are not there. Now, based upon this good gift of gender that God has sovereignly given us, he gives us guidelines for how we're to relate to sexes. Okay, we're male or female. What in the world are we supposed to do with this? Well, he tells us what we're supposed to do with this, and still in Genesis, giving us the foundation, Genesis 2.24 This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Here's God's blueprint for intimacy between sexes. His plan is for one man and for one woman to commit to one another, to be joined together in what becomes a one flesh relationship. And so anything outside of one man and one woman in a committed marriage relationship is not God's will for you. I have to say that plainly because increasingly people in the church have bought into other views of sexuality. Let me spell it out for you. Sex before marriage for believers is not God's will for you. He will not bless it. He does not approve of it. You are sinning against God when you do that. Extramarital sex is not approved of by God. It is a good gift that God wants you to celebrate within his blueprint that he established of one man and one woman in a committed marriage relationship. And People will say, oh, well, in the Old Testament, there's polygamy. There's all kind of stuff. Yes, there is. We haven't followed the blueprint. That doesn't mean the blueprint is wrong. In the Old Testament, there are people who have more than one wife, and God worked with them. Aren't you glad God works with sinners? Aren't you glad that God, who's completely holy, still loves and works with sinners? And he did. But Jesus reaffirmed that blueprint. Let me read it to you in Matthew 19, 4 through 5, the words of Jesus. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so it means also that homosexual activity, intimacy, is wrong. It's outside of God's will. I did a survey last week, and I asked also our high school students, 42 of them who filled out the card, how many students do you know who identify as gay or lesbian? 100% of them, 42 of the 42, said they know at least one student uh, who identifies as gay or lesbian and 74% said they knew five or more. 40% said they knew 10 or more. And so this is an issue that all of our high school students are dealing with. So I asked them, what questions do you have about these 
subjects, and they shared with me some great questions. I can't answer all of them. I've given the cards to Tim. I think he's going to try to deal with some of them later. But I want to share with you the two biggest questions that our high school students last week wrote on their cards and asked about uh, uh, homosexuality. And so the, the first one of those is, Will gays and lesbians go to heaven? Or another student wrote it a little different way. Here's two examples. Are they still able to be Christians? So I don't want to share with you my opinion. Let's go to the Bible because the Word of God is His revealed will, and it's authoritative and infallible. So what does the Bible say on this? Well, let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in uh, uh, verse 9, where Paul addresses this. He says, do you not know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. So some people are going to try to deceive you on this point about who will inherit the kingdom of God and who will not. And so he spells it out. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So here's a list of people whose actions, um, will, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says, verse 11, And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So, are gays and lesbians going to go to heaven? The answer is no, unrepentant gays and lesbians, along with unrepentant immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, swindlers, greedy people, and drunkards are not going to heaven. But yes, gays and lesbians can go to heaven along with drunkards and swindlers and greedy people and idolaters and the immoral if they are washed, justified, and sanctified. Washed means you repent of your sin You acknowledge it and turn from it. Justified means you're born again so that you're right with God. And sanctified means that you are in the process of being made holy, conformed to the image of Christ. And so none of these groups are going to get to heaven. This is not an exhaustive list, but it's a list of sins at Corinth and sins that we deal with. And they're not going to heaven, but any one of these can. Now, probably the direction of these questions that I want to deal with, but what about a person who says that they're a Christian, says they have been saved, but they're still engaging in homosexual practices, still living a gay or lesbian lifestyle? Well, let me read to you again what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. The book of 1 John gives tests to know assurance of the salvation. We deal with this in our new members class. How do you know that you're saved? Well, there are three or four tests in the book of 1 John. I'm going to read one of those uh, tests that he gives you. And it is in 1 John 3, 9, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. So it says if you have been born again, there'll be transformation in your life that you'll not live a continual life of sin and that if you are living a continual life in these sins, it is evidence that you may not have really been born again. Does this mean that Christians, when they're saved, become perfect or never sin? Of course not. We all sin. A Christian can fall into any one of these sins in 1 Corinthians 6. 
But this is speaking of a continual. The verb tense means a continual practice of your life. The question is, when you fall into it, what do you get due? Proverbs says a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. So yes, as a Christian, you may fall to temptation and fall into any kind of sin, but uh, those who have been born again won't want to stay there. There'll be some resistance, some repentance, some regret, some turning from that. If there is no turning from your drunkardness or your swindling or your lying or your immorality or your homosexuality, then it is evidence we can't see in the heart of a person, only God knows, but it is evidence for you to indicate that you may not be born again because the person who is born again will not lead a life of continual, unregretted, uh, unbroken sin. But you, any one of those people still can be saved. And you and I still can be saved if we are washed and justified and sanctified in the name of Jesus. Would you turn to him and receive that forgiveness? Now, a second question that I got most often from these high school students, uh, put a couple examples of those up there, is about associating with those who um, are gay or lesbians. One, one student wrote, I'm still friends with gay people. I just don't agree with them. They know that. And the last part got cut off. It says, is that okay? Second question similar to that, does hanging out with them mean I agree with them? These are good questions. Again, I don't want to tell you my thoughts or my opinions. Let's see what the Word of God says, and let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 9. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? So Paul had written a letter before 1 Corinthians that we no longer have, but he's referring to it here. And it says, he wrote in it, don't associate with immoral people. Corinth, even in the ruins there today, there are all these pagan temples. There was cult prostitution. It was a terribly immoral place. They were trying to live as Christians there. And he said, don't associate with immoral people. They thought he meant non-Christians. And uh, they sent him that question. He wrote it back and said, oh, no, you misunderstood me. He said, I don't mean don't associate with people like this who are non-Christians. He said, you'd have to leave the world to do that. Uh, you associate with them, do business with them, be nice to them, engage, interact with them. He said, what I was talking about and I'm talking about now is that within the, the church, people who claim to be transformed but are still living this lifestyle, if you don't make some uh, distinction there, if they are unrepentant, proud, brazen in the church, then you're going to give the appearance that you approve of that. So Christians within the church, and it's, there's a whole process for this. I don't have to go, time to go through in Scripture. But within the church, there's a process of warning people and, and, and then taking steps to say, this is not who we are, what we believe. Well, uh, uh, but, but our point here is being friends with so to answer our students' question, Paul has said, no, it is not wrong for you to associate with gay and lesbians. Be nice to them. Be friends to them. Uh, association 
does not apply, imply affirmation. Jesus was criticized on this very point because he associated with sinners but did not affirm them. Now, let me say to you, if, for, for teenagers, for young people, I believe your closest friends ought to be those who share your faith and values. I don't have time to unpack all of that. If you'll get my book on Proverbs, there's a whole chapter on friendships. And there's two things. Jesus had exclusive friendships with a group of three and a group of 12 because he wanted people around him who shared his faith. And that's what you as a Christian teenager need to do. You need a youth group. You need to be with some kids who will share your values and faith, and your closest friends ought to be that. But don't shun anyway and extend your friendships to people who are different from you. Jesus did the same thing and ate with people and got criticized for that. So what I'd say to you, I don't know how it works in your cafeteria at high school, I'm not sure. If you get to choose where you sit, then here's what you ought to do if you're a mature Christian teenager. You pick out the most ostracized, unloved uncool kid that people don't like no matter who they are what they're, and you go sit with them at lunch. That'd be one of the best things you can do as a Christian. You love people who are different from you and are, and are ostracized and you befriend them. Don't worry about what people say if you're sitting with somebody who has some different values than you. God's opinion is the one that matters. Jesus got criticized on this very point. In your closest associations, have some people who share your values, but befriend those who are different from you. They need the love of God shining through you. Well, let me close with a story, okay? I want to tell you a story about a young woman named Jackie Hill Perry. She grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. She grew up with no male influence in her life according to her testimony. She didn't have a father figure, grandfather figure. At an early age, she liked girls. But at an early age also, she had an aunt who took her to church. And in that church, she learned the Word of God. As she grew into a teenager, she entered into a lesbian relationship. She began to dress differently. She began to look differently, carry herself differently. She was in gay pride marches. She was in gay clubs. But in 2008, she realized that there was something wrong in her life and that something had to give because she had never forgotten those teachings of when an aunt brought her to church. Thank God for people who bring kids to church. And what her identity was, something had to give. And let me read to you her own words. She said, I didn't want to be straight. I remember having a conversation with God during that time saying just that. But I also know, knew I wanted Jesus more than everything else. And I felt like he was asking me to come to him and not worry about the rest. So that's what I did. It felt like God was speaking right to my heart all the time. I saw it so clearly all of a sudden. I saw what was going on in my heart and that what I knew was true. If the wages of sin really was death, it wasn't optional for me. Something had to change. So I needed to see that Christians love people for real. She went to church. And she said, that's exactly what the church did for me. They weren't afraid. They weren't after just a change in my sexuality, but a change in my whole person. They loved me as Jackie, not as Jackie the ex-lesbian. And so Jackie submitted her feelings to her anatomy, her God-given, sovereignly given gender, rather than what she had been doing. She'd been trying to submit her body to her feelings, and she changed and began to submit her feelings to her body. 
and to God. And God changed her. She expressed her feelings through writing poetry. So she went to a poetry workshop and she met a guy there writing poetry and his name was Preston. They became friends and then they became engaged. And now Jackie and Preston are married and I want to show you a picture of their family. This is Jackie Hill Perry and her husband Preston and their two daughters Autumn and Eden. You can read her story in a book just released, Gay Girl, Good God who I was, and who God has always been. God has created barriers for you that will bless you because he loves you. And within those barriers, you'll find happiness and joy. And if you strayed outside of those as all of us have, If you'll come back to him, he'll love you and forgive you and transform you and you can find wholeness for your life once again. Would you stand together with me? We're going to sing a song. This is our time of commitment and response to the word of God. And if you want to respond in some way publicly, I invite you to walk forward. Maybe you're wrestling with something. You want somebody to pray with you. Maybe you're ready to say, as Jackie did, Jesus, something's got to change. And I want you more than I want anything else, and I'll submit my life to you. Maybe you need a church home. We'd welcome you into our church family. You can walk forward, make any of these, meet me or another pastor here. Let's sing together.
Amen. Thank you. Please be seated again, if you will. We're going to give our offerings now in worship.